Good evening, afternoon, or morning. Whenever you find yourself listening or watching this, I'm Omar with my great friend Jackson, as always. And we are back. We're throwing it back to the spring with a little Walter Payton and Buck Buchanan talking. Yes, we're still going to talk about the Heisman, but we want to give attention to these players because Southeastern Louisiana, they're campaigning hard for their guy, Cole Kelly. We'll talk about a little bit more after. Um, they're campaigning for him to go back-to-back, Archie Griffin style. And that inspired us to kind of turn back the clock. Jackson, how's everything going? Oh, it's going solid, man. Uh, another great week of college football last week, too. It seems like whenever the slate is slow, we get some exciting games. Uh, I don't know if you can call Illinois Penn State in that nine overtime game exciting, but it certainly was um, entertaining. So, <laughs> yeah, man, it was a great week. And then uh, if you are a longtime listener, and I mean by long time, if you've listened sometime since the spring, um, you'll be familiar with these awards, the Walter Payton Award. No, we're not talking about the man of the year. We're talking about the best offensive FCS player, uh, which is named after Walter Payton. And then Buck, the Buck Buchanan Award, which is the best defensive FCS player. Omar, I know you really like, and I do too, the system where they do best offensive, best defensive, because the Heisman is is not only a quarterback award, it's just an offense award. So uh, we really like that you can actually pay attention to really good defensive candidates. I will say they rip DBs off because what only one defensive back winner or something like that. Yes, sir. Rasheen Mathis, 2002, I believe. Bethune Cookman, Jaguars. Legend. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, not many DBs on our list uh, for the same reason that they just don't go to defensive backs for whatever. Maybe that'll change with Deion Sanders bringing so much attention to FCS DBs. We'll see. Yeah, well, before we start, uh, I want to bring up, you mentioned exciting college football. That all started on Friday night out there in the woods of Hanover, New Hampshire, where Columbia had a huge win in the Ivy League against Dartmouth. And Columbia is in their chase for their first Ivy League title since 1961. And really great performance there. Yeah, Joe Green with a nice 14 to 22 for 98 yards, evoking memories of 1942 Heisman runner-up Pitch and Paul Governale of Columbia and College Football Hall of Famer. You had Mike Rousseau. Memories looking for like- who, Omar? You weren't alive in 19 <laughs> Memories for who? Memories for, uh, you know, older Columbia fans. And then you also got Mike Rousseau's looking like Bill Swiacki, who ended Army's long winning streak out in 1949 at Baker Field. Just beautiful night for Columbia fans. And Columbia, if they win everything, they need some help. They need Princeton to lose at least once. And they'll have a share of their first Ivy League title since 1961, since the Kennedy administration. So I wanted, I, I promised I would mention a 1940s Columbia legend, and I did too. If you are a hundred year old plus uh, Columbia fan, please leave a comment below so that uh, we know you exist. I'm sure Omar and, and you can kick it back talking about 1940s Columbia legends. So that's a very a subtle transition into our Walter Payton <laughs> award talk. Um, uh, we made the joke in the opening that this is a, this is a two and a half man race because there's two guys on the front end right, that are really solid in Cole Kelly and Eric Barrier. And if you've kept up with the FCS season and all, you know those names for sure. Uh, I mean, easily, these are the top two going into the Walter Payton. Omar, I'll let you break down uh, Cole Kelly, who I think front runner, right, you would say? I had to go Barrier because – Oh, Barrier, okay. Well, yeah. you, you take Barrier, Barrier, I'll take Kelly then. That okay, yeah, out. yeah. So you, you start with Kelly, then I'll go with Barrier. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll go with my front runner. 
Colt Kelly. He's the reigning Walter Payton Award winner. Yeah, on the season so far, he has 216 completed passes at 290. That's a 74% completion percentage. Uh, 2,742 yards, 26 touchdowns, and five interceptions. What really sets him over the top, I believe at least, as the front runner. 81 attempts for 312 yards and eight touchdowns in the running game, which is something that Barrier just doesn't have, at least to that level. Um, Cole Kelly is on fire. Southeastern Louisiana isn't doing bad themselves, and uh, he's the reigning winner. It'd be kind of cool to see him win it twice in one calendar year, right? I know, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's funny you brought, you brought that up because I mean, it's back to back, but I don't think I don't, that's never happened actually. It's not that I don't think I know it's never happened. Two, two Walter Payton awards in one year um, hasn't happened a Heisman season, you know, with two Heismans in one year. I mean, Archie Griffin won in two straight years, but you know, fantastic point there, Jackson, that uh, he did win in the spring and he would win it in the fall of 2021. Um, and, and you mentioned the dual threat. And very much awards today look for quarterbacks like that. Like it's very hard for a pocket passing quarterback to win the Heisman nowadays with the way that schemes go. And I do, I do acknowledge that in your, in your argument, but for me with barrier barrier has a couple of signature performances opening week at the Raiders stadium at Allegiant stadium, the big Roomba um, Eastern Washington, <laughs> Eastern Washington, that overtime win That's against the first UNLV. time hearing that. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people call it a Roomba. It's not myself bringing it up, but I mean, someone brought it up and was like, you know what? You're right. It, it looks like a Roomba, but Eastern Washington. So there's that, there's one signature win right there. And there's also the game that they played on national television on ESPN two, I believe. I think, I think it got bumped up to ESPN two. Yeah. Against Montana, the Montana team that beat uh, Washington and this team seven and one, they're front runner for the playoffs. They've been putting up points. They dropped 71 on Idaho. So Eastern Washington meets the eye test. And yes, barrier isn't, a, isn't as much of a dual threat. He still has, um, he still has three rushing touchdowns and 144 rushing yards, but he's got 3,312 yards in eight games. That's over 400 per game, uh, 30 touchdowns, uh, very few interceptions. I think Barry's a front runner for, I mean, not just in, I think his, I think his resume is more impressive. I think um, both game by game playing in a higher profile conference in the Southland, the Southland's only has six members. The big skies got Montana. They got Montana state uh, really a bunch of competitive teams. Weaver state, excuse me, was uh, ranked earlier in the year. Um, really great. And then, and then this offense has dropped 60 plus points twice. So I think Barry's a front runner for those reasons. That's a great point about the conferences. That's something that I, I really didn't think about and that in barrier, I have to give him the edge me is thrown for almost, uh, well, no, not almost all oh, well over 500 more passing yards as well. Um, and, and a tougher conference, as you said. So, yeah, I mean, you can interchange these guys. I feel like I know I started off with Cole Kelly at first, but, man, I mean, both these guys are having such an incredible year. Um, both of them could, you know, both of them, you could say, deserve it even. Um, but we'll, we'll have to find out and tell. When, where, where are these awards given out? Is it Vegas, I think? I, I have no clue. I know last year they did. I thought a, I saw something, something about a war okay. an award presentation in Vegas, but I'm I'm probably wrong. Yeah, um, no, I'm trying to find it with uh. Um, yeah, who's yeah. your uh, who's your third guy for the Walter Payton? So my my third guy, it's another quarterback. It's pretty much um at this point they're sleepers now because it's Kelly versus Barrier. I think for all intents and purposes, but I got to round out. No, go ahead. Oh, so for, for both of these awards that we're doing today, right, we've got a sleeper portion of guys that probably don't have a real great chance of winning the whole thing, but uh, that we want to bring attention to. 
And um, originally we said we were doing our top three for each. I mean, this is, we'll just go into the sleeper portion early because it is Cole Kelly versus Eric Barrier. So who's your, I guess, best sleeper? We'll go with that. My best sleeper, uh, a guy with many nicknames that we love, the Josh Allen of the B train, Tim DeScorat, Tuddy Tim, uh, the Jesuit Cannon, Tim DeMorat. I, I like him a lot, obviously. I love the Patriot League. Uh, 2,368 uh, yards, 24 touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. The one knock, he plays in the Patriot League, which is consistently one of the weaker conferences. There's a lot of parity here. Holy Cross Fordham, the Rand Crusader Cup on, let me find the date of that. Um, well, it's it's shaping to be pretty much the hugest game of the Patriot League season, and and that's over the um the the Great Polar Park game that happened this past weekend with uh with Holy Cross beating Colgate handily at the Worcester Red Sox new park. But um yeah, Holy Cross Fordham on November thirteenth should be a great game. Demorat versus Siderman and uh, Matthew Sluka, but I like Demorat a lot. Uh, it was my first sleeper, and I'm gonna bring in another quarterback because they're kind of on the same level, similar stats. Cameron Ward. I, I don't know if that was one of your guys. I don't know if I stole one of your guys, Jackson. Okay. We talked about Cameron Ward a lot in the spring. Great freshman, great freshman year. He's continuing the great work. 2,479 yards, 22 touchdowns. UIW beat Texas State. Uh, and again, he's being overshadowed by Cole Kelly, being in the same conference as Cole Kelly and Lindsey Scott, who has over 700 yards for Nichols State, does not help Cameron Ward a good amount. And hearing all these names is really throwing it back to the spring from this past year, which was awesome. Um, but man, a lot of these guys, you, you don't think nearly enough about during the fall with all this other, you know, FBS level stuff happening. Um, I'll go with my first sleeper. Um, I don't think there's going to be a quarterback aside from Kelly or Barrier winning. Um, and there are plenty of guys, Cameron Ward, all these guys that we could talk about. I've got pretty much uh, uh, just receivers and running backs on my sleeper list. Uh, my first running back, it's hard to go with anyone other than him, Dennis Merritt, running back from Eastern Washington, 127, 127 attempts, 1,386 yards and 20 touchdowns. Omar, you know my phrase, if you're a running back and you can't catch, you can't play. 21 receptions, 300 yards, three touchdowns, uh, catching the ball out of the air as well. For a second, I thought you were going to say Quay Holmes, my next sleeper, because again, with hit with Barry, it's hard for anyone other than Barry or even uh, Talolo Limu Jones, uh, the emu, uh, to win it for uh, Eastern Washington. He's a great receiver out there in a, out, out of Eastern Washington. It was hard for him to win it with Barry on the team. Um, so the one, the one running back I have, and I'll have one more sleeper after this, the one running back I have is Quay Holmes, 926 rushing yards for Eastern Tennessee State, 10 touchdowns. 14 catches, 186 yards, one touchdown. And the one knock on Holmes is, the, is he's not returning kicks anymore for East Tennessee State. He did that in the spring, and he was among the leaders in, in uh, all-purpose yards um, in FCS. That's kind of a knock on him. If you're returning kicks, I definitely would have him higher and possibly say it's like a top – it's a three-man race. But, I mean, a running back hasn't won it since, I think, 03, and that was a guy from Colgate. But it's been a long time since the running backs won the uh, the Walter Payton Award, which is a huge knock on Holmes, but still a great season for East Tennessee State. Uh, they're doing great in the SoCon, a, a really wild SoCon. They're 7-1. and one. They recently just got upset by VMI, I believe. But um, great year for the Pirates, and Quay Holmes is leading. He's a heart and soul that team pretty much. No, absolutely. That's uh, Quay Holmes. I remember we talked about him a lot in the spring, as you said. And, uh, and yes, a running back hasn't worn it since 2003 or whatnot, but, um, man, these guys still deserve attention. It's not their fault that they're, you know, not winning it. 
So uh, I, I love that we have the, the platform to be able to do that on here. I'm going to go with my next sleeper, BJ Bird, the wide receiver from Moorhead State. In seven games, he has 60 receptions, 764 yards, and nine touchdowns. Uh, I thought this was an intriguing stat. He has three games with at least two touchdowns, uh, two with two, and another one with three. He adds value as a kick returner, three yard or three kick returns for 53 yards. So he's performing well when he is returning. Um, last year, he had eight touchdowns and half the receptions that he has so far this year. But it seems like that he's getting a lot more attention from uh, you know opposing defensive coordinators yet he still has 60 receptions. So he's not getting as many big plays. His average is lower. His touchdowns are lower. He has doubled his receptions and he is really seems to be getting more consistent, uh, consistent targets, which I mean, does make for less production in most cases, but uh, BJ Burt, I got to watch out for on the off chance. You are watching more head state. Yeah. And geez, man, I'm glad you mentioned Moorhead state because that's one of the games of the week. I mean, they, the pioneer league is a lot more interesting when San Diego state's not winning every single conference game. Um, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't mean to diss the Toreros, but parody is cool. And I will say that um, really good story. I, I thought you would have gone with, uh, with Mark Pappet, Pappas um, as a candidate out of Moorhead state. Cause he's having a nice year at quarterback, 19 touchdowns, 11 picks for the Eagles following the footsteps of Phil. Was, Sims. I mean, to be fair, I was sticking with just, uh, yeah and backs so but he, yeah. he's having a great year too yeah and, and i understand that i understand your, your rationale i mean I, I think both guys are on equal footing if you were to pick a guy from the pioneer league the, the one problem is the pioneer football league non-scholarship kind of gets like tossed under the uh onto the side uh the only headline most of the headlines this year are coming from the coach that never punts kevin kelly for presbyterian and and ren hefley a name that we haven't mentioned he's second to eric barry in touchdown passes but because presbyterian is losing pretty ugly with the new system he's not going to get any love um so yeah i do have one more guy i mean it's kind of a joke but we're, we're trying to get him on the podcast Derek ing out of holy cross what kicker you know what kicker do you in the country know has kicked four field goals on the season and has a touchdown pass in a minor league ballpark? Yep, Derek King is the only one in the country to do that. Had a nine-yard touchdown pass in, in Holy Cross's win, 42 win on a fake field goal, a beautifully executed fake field goal. And Holy Cross is deep if they ever need, if they if it comes down to it. I mean, they got Matt Sluka, the Zach Wilson of the Seven Hills. They got Marco Siderman, the Mike White of the Seven Hills. And they got Derek King now. Uh, I guess with Derek King, uh, we got to find a new a new name for him in terms of uh, kickers. But uh, just just great. A great kicker. Um, Derek King, please come on the podcast. Um, you know, it's been a while since we had a kicker because Troy Lenve rocked the show in the spring and uh, we've been dying for a specialist to come on. Hey, you know us. We love our special teams. Uh, you know, we show punter, kickers, long snappers, whatever it is. Hey, come on the pod. You're always welcome, especially if you're from an FCS yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that concludes my list. I mean, it's kind of hard. Like we do want to showcase the uh, Walter Payton, but I feel like it was more fun last spring when there were so many variables variables applied and, and it was just more dynamic. But all due respect, like to Cole Kelly and Eric Barrier, like they're going at it and it's it's fun to watch. I mean, Cole Kelly and everything uh, pretty much willing Southeastern Louisiana in the uh, Southland race. And then Eric Barrier too, following in like a great tradition of Eastern Washington quarterbacks and great offenses. Um, you know, just imagine if Barry was around when Cooper Cup was was uh, playing receiver for Eastern Washington. That would have been something I would have loved to see. 
Yeah, man, so many great FCS players. Cooper Cup, by the way, on pace to have the most fantasy points ever um, for any player in history, which is just absolutely insane how he just seems to be gone off with Stafford. But yeah, man, um, some of these guys, I mean, I'm sure we'll be talking about them on Sundays too. What, 12 active quarterbacks in the NFL right now that play the FCS schools? So um, I think it's that number. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I saw something on Twitter about that. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and don't sleep on the FCS because I guess the whole lower division thing, I mean, this is still great football. You got teams moving up and down teams with aspirate with aspirations to move up, especially the teams in the AQ seven, both teams, both conferences, the ASUN and the WAC have intentions of moving up to FBS. How long that takes, we don't know, but I mean, they got the sauce to do it. So, I mean, just, you know, give them a chance. Um, and, you know, don't don't write this off. I mean, don't write off any division of football, because if you can play, you can play. Ollie Marpet, Pierre Garçon, D3 Legends. I mean, um, yeah, that's that's all I got to say before we get sidetracked. Quinn Mirnes, recency bias, but Quinn Mirnes also uh, that played a lower level. I mean, these guys can play, as you said. And if you yeah, can play, exactly. they'll find you. Exactly. No, you're you're 100% right. Uh, speaking of guys who can play, we got our Buck Buchanan list. Uh, Jackson, who's your first guy for the Buck Buchanan? Um, on my my first uh, first Buck Buchanan front runner that I've got right now, I've got Isaiah Lamb, the linebacker from Florida A and M. In seven games, 30 total tackles, 17 tackles for loss, which is just a ridiculous number. 11 and a half sacks as well. One forced fumble, a fumble recovery on there too. We saw HBCU defensive lineman win it last year. I think we might see it again this year. Yeah, and looking at uh, Jordan Lewis's stats from last year, uh, I'm really trying to pull it up. There's so many Jordan Lewis's in the world in the world of football, but Jordan Lewis had really great stats for Southern. Um, and especially with FAMU having the year that they're having, it's going to be either Florida A&M, excuse me, or Jackson State out of the East, which um, I had Isaiah Land as first as well. But I have a slash next to that first spot with James Houston, also out of, out of Jackson State, also in the SWAC East, who has 13 and a half TFLs, eight sacks for Jackson State, who's having an amazing year uh, out there in the SWAC under Coach Prime. Um yeah, so Jordan Lewis's stats last year, as I pull it up, just to see some similarities. In five games, he had 15 TFLs, 10 and a half sacks. I mean, those stats are, those stats are sort of similar. Had um, Jordan Lewis played, uh, I guess, seven games, as Isaiah Land and James Houston both had. So, I mean, I, I think they're the clear front runners. And um, the Buck Buchanan Award is a pass rusher heavy type award. Uh, so these guys fall right in line. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier on the show, the last defensive back to win it was 2002. And uh, as we're seeing that that blend more and more over the years of, you know, defensive end, edge rusher, outside linebacker, all kind of turning into the same thing. Uh, linebackers and defensive linemen is, is really what this board is about. And it's a shame. And looking at the defensive backs that sort of like put on this list, not none of them really caught my eye in terms of like cap tackles. And I think you really got to be really a real game changer type of guy that can flip the field as a defensive back, um, you know, and, and also, I guess I play, have a really, really big role in the pass game too. And 
come downhill and make plays, which there weren't many guys defensively as, I mean, on the defensive back side of the ball to really do that. So, I mean, most of our list is either linebackers or uh, edge rushers. So uh, who's your next guy, Jackson? Uh, my next guy for the Buck Buchanan, I've got Isaiah Chambers, uh, the edge rusher from McNeese State. 40 tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss, uh, six and a half of those being sacks and a forced fumble. Chambers is having a great year. I know he's gotten some, I know he's gotten some NFL attention as well. Um, so two Isaiahs, I guess, to start off with. Absolutely. And he's got more tackles than uh, Isaiah Land, if I'm not mistaken, but though not that much. Um, his numbers would be would be more impressive had he had more solo tackles, but still a great year for the Cowboys of McNeese State. Um, I'm gonna go a little bit on the interior here with my next pick. I'm gonna go with Darius Joyner, who already has 100 tackles in eight games. Um, he plays against some really good opponents week after week. He plays in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Uh, Western Illinois is not the best, even though they did almost beat Eastern Washington in a 62 to 56 shootout. Uh, the 100 tackles is great. If you're gonna pick an interior guy, I'd pick Darius Joyner or uh, my other guy who I'm gonna, you know, say after after you say your guy, but. Uh, the one knock on him, of course, is the win-loss record, one and seven. The Leathernecks out there in Maycomb, Illinois, they're kind of struggling as they have for a few years, but that should not reduce the season that Darius Joyner's had as he has three more games, if I'm counting right. Yeah, he has three more games, and he should, if he averages 10 per game, should end up with 130, if not 140 tackles in 11 games, which is an amazing season. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's he's performing well. And I mean, that is the tough thing about these awards, especially when they're voted on by media members. Um, if you're having a losing season, you're probably not going to get the recognition you deserve. Um, and that's not obviously entirely on you, even close to it, uh, especially when you're on defense. Uh, if you're a quarterback, then that may be a, a, a different story. But um, when you're a, when you're a you know edge rusher, or middle linebacker or something like that, that Man, that's not on you. Um, I'll go with my next guy. I've got Ty French, the defensive end from Gardner Webb. 40 tackles, a very similar stat line to Isaiah Chambers. 40 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, uh, four of which were sacks, and then one forced fumble. Uh, I saw this quote not that long ago that I thought was really intriguing. It was about how you can't measure uh, sacks. It's not a good measure of the success of a defensive lineman or an edge rusher. Uh, you have to look at the sacks plus the quarterback hurries. He has 12 quarterback hurries on the year. Easily, easily could have, uh, you know, 16 sacks if those had been completed. Um, so, and I thought that that's a more consistent measure for pressure. I just thought that was intriguing that he has so many because usually I, I've been looking through a bunch of these stat lines today you see like one, two, I saw five or six on a couple of them, 12. It was a very high number. It shows he's getting consistent pressure, even though it's not going to show up on the, on the you know, box score on ESPN where they only keep track of TFLs. I've actually never heard that before uh, with that type of framing, but it makes a lot of sense that you count quarterback hurries as well. Uh, and I think that's how I'll be looking at it from now on, really, um, with the shift towards, I mean, hurries isn't even an advanced stat, but towards unconventional stats, I should say. Uh, the one knock on Gardner-Webb is them was, being three. Um, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Trey Boston on Lindsey Rhodes' podcast. Uh, Trey Boston, the free safety for for the Panthers. 
I want to say it was him that said it, but don't don't quote me on that. I know I heard it somewhere this week. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of changed my outlook on how I look at stats for for any pass rusher. So it was interesting. As as it should. And I will say the one knock on Gardner Webb is they went three and four. They're three and four right now. They look to be out of it in uh, in the big south. I mean, they got a big game against Kennesaw State this Saturday. Great option offense. Great chance for him to rack up some stats out there um, against Kennesaw State. Other, another knock is they lost the East-West Barbecue Bowl against uh, Campbell. Uh, brand new trophy out there in uh, FCS. Just wanted to mention that. Um, but yeah, uh, just having a strong year out there for the running Bulldogs, still looking for the first playoff appearance. We we're kind of high on them in the spring. Um, didn't exactly deliver, but they they had a good season out there in the spring. Um, my last guy, I'm going to go back to the big sky and I'm going to go with uh, Patrick O'Connell out of Montana, 61 tackles, nine and a half sacks, 14 TFLs. You had the best of both worlds. You had a strong interior game, a linebacker who is always swarming around the ball, nine and a half sacks, 14 TFLs on a contending Montana team. Uh, that is five and two right now. This is the team that beat Washington, and in that Washington game, O'Connell, O'Connell's performance is pulling it up right now. Um, kind of spoke too fast for myself. But yeah, O'Connell had 10 tackles, two sacks, three TFLs, and was one of the large reasons why they held Washington only seven points in their first win against, I think their first win against Washington or at Washington since, since 1920. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that would be the Harding administration. Uh, someone checked me on that. But um, yeah, just a great year. And I think O'Connell, if anything, um, I guess my order would be land slash Houston and then O'Connell close second because Montana being a contender and O'Connell having, I guess, a good diversity of stats and a good res, a good team resume for uh, the bear, the Grizzlies, excuse me, out there in Montana. Yeah, no, absolutely. Say the name one more time. Cause it was, it was breaking up a little bit for me. On that. Patrick O'Connell. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, he's having a great year. And then my last sleeper, is it our, our, no, we're starting our sleepers right here, right? I just had three guys. So you can list uh, your sleepers. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got, um, I've got Troy Anderson as my first sleeper for the Buck Buchanan Award, the outside linebacker from Montana State. Uh, in eight games, 69 total tackles, eight tackles for loss, a uh, uh, fumble recovery and an interception. Uh, honestly, Omar, if we had had this podcast a couple of years ago, we may have mentioned him for the Walter Payton Award. He is second in Montana State history in rushing touchdowns. He had 21 in 2018. He made the change over this previous year. He is also the only FCS player on the National Football Foundation's National Scholar Athlete class uh, for this year. And so it goes without saying he's a William Campbell Trophy watch list finalists at whatever point the, the Campbell trophies and he's versatile. He's a scholar. He's a Buck Buchanan sleeper and he's definitely a 2022 draft prospect. Absolutely. Um, wow. That's amazing. Um, I wonder why he made the switch. That's something I'll have to read about more. Do you have any info on why he made the switch from running back? Cause he's, he seemed to be pretty doggone good at it. I, yeah, I know. I don't have, I, I don't have any more information on that. Pretty much everything is all the articles on him and all that seem to be revolving around the the scholar athlete being the only FCS player in that, uh, which deservedly so. That's awesome stuff. 
but um, the, there it really isn't much information. And obviously he only played like what, two years at running back in Montana state. And he's ninth all time in rushing yards and second all time in rushing touchdowns, which is just ridiculous for how short he played. So, um, but I mean, he's got a lot of production on the other side of the ball and that seems to be where he's been garnering a lot of his, uh, a lot of his draft attention, especially. So, I mean, Gosh, he's he's very versatile. I read one article says one of the most versatile players in college football history, which I mean, you can make that argument maybe with how productive he's been on both sides of the ball. Okay, I'd pump the brakes on history because guys were doing that for years. I, I'd pump the brakes on history. I'd say in recent. Okay, history, yeah, yes. yeah, you're you're the recent. wrong person to, to say that too. I, I will. Admit. You know, I'm gonna bring up Gordy Lockbaum, a Holy Cross, third in the Heisman, third in the Heisman voting in 1987. Gordy Lockbaum, defensive back, running back for Holy Cross. You don't want to bring up Gordy first. You know, I'm going to bring up uh, not even – Woodson's overrated, in my opinion, uh, in terms of playing both sides. He had a great year as a Heisman winner um, and was a fact – it was an X factor every day, but the stats weren't exactly there. But, I mean, point to any guy from 1950 backwards, 1958 backwards, I should say. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I had one guy I wanted to mention. Uh, we know we noticed we did not mention Ryan Greenhagen yet. He's only played five games, which is a total shame because Greenhagen burst on the scene Labor Day weekend against Nebraska with a Division One record 31. Uh, as there's a deep fly in the left field in the World Series, uh, with a 31 tackle performance against Nebraska, um, and then followed that up with a 28 tackle performance. Greenhagen has 102 tackles in only five games, but of course injuries derailed him, derailed his season, and um, just Greenhagen amazing year. And I gotta think that he would be a shoe and winner if i mean he was healthy i mean with those with just those unbelievable unbelievable performances getting tongue tongue tied just thinking about it um so just wanted to know ryan greenhagen uh really a shame but i think he uh he has a great future honestly whether it be as a special teamer or i mean even playing linebacker straight up in the league i think Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's that's something that's uh, someone to keep an eye on. And man, I feel like it's even harder for the Buck Buchanan Award to have a clear set of guys because it's not like okay, there's you know quarterback, and then there's all the other positions on offense. At least you know running back, tight end, wide receiver. Uh, they're all kind. I mean, they're pretty much all equally important on defense. Um, and you can pull guys from all over. So. I mean, there's so many guys that we could we could go into, but um, one last guy I wanted to at least mention, and I've seen a lot of stuff about him in the NFL world, especially after his stellar performance in the FCS playoffs last year. Zion McCollum, the cornerback from Sam Houston State, not great stats this year, 22 tackles and two interceptions. Omar, obviously, we don't have access to the all 22, so we don't know if that's because he is not getting thrown in or if because he is giving up a lot of yards. I wish that would be a corner stat, but um, so we don't really know. I'll be honest. I'm not sure if he's playing great. If he's not playing great, what it is, I know he had such a great uh, year last year in the playoffs and helped lead that Sam Houston State team, but I know he is getting some draft plus, so I'm hoping it's because he's just not getting thrown up. And that's an absolutely loaded uh, Sam Houston's A team. We talked about Eric Schmidt in the spring. Jaquez Ezzard lit it up. A lot of talent on that team. Yeah. Yeah. They've got an edge rusher, too. I I can't think of his name right now, but they've got – gosh, they've got guys all over the place. 
Yeah, I mean, they they look primed to repeat while North Dakota State's looking very strong. But, um, yeah, no, that's that's a good point about the All-22 uh, film because a lot of times, like, especially with defensive backs, you just can't really tell, um, you know, whether they're being thrown to that much and what, uh, due to the lack of stats and stuff. But definitely a pro prospect out there for, uh, for Sam Houston State and a guy that we'll look out for. Um, so, yeah, these are just some names. Of course, uh, you know, we kind of we kind of started you off with a little bit of guys. We'll probably talk about this um, the week after or either the week before or the week after the season ends uh, or the week the season ends for FCS as they head into the playoffs. We'll have to see when the award's given out before we give our final prognosis or even um, when the finalists come out. Um, because what they do is they release finalists in mass like they did last year. I believe that's a yearly thing where they because I think they released the first 20, like the 20 from number 20 up to number three, or it was a very high number. So they did that for both awards. And then the three finalists were unveiled and, and then the winner revealed out of those three, the top three vote getters. So um, we'll update you with the race throughout the season. Um, but yeah, just great ballers all around FCS. Um, and, you know, a lot of love to be showed for these guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just looking into McCollum just a little bit more. Uh, as a freshman, I mean, his talent was pretty clear early on. As a freshman, he was voted uh, all Southland Conference first team by coaches uh, in the Southland Conference. So clearly a, a talented player. And, yeah, hopefully we can see all these guys garner a little bit more attention as the year goes on. Yeah, I'm with you. So, yeah, I, I guess moving on to another prestigious honor, of course, um, the Heisman Trophy. Really quick. Um, what's your top five shaping out? Like, I know mine changed a bit towards the bottom and the middle. Um, and I'll tell you why, but first Jackson, let's hear your top five. Mine hasn't really changed. I'm still going with Desmond Ritter at one. I'm really hoping he can prove me right in the end. I've got Kenneth Walker at second, obviously the running back from Michigan state. He's got a big game coming up this week uh, against Michigan. Kenny Pickett at third, uh, Pitt really, I mean, Pickett proved himself, Pitt proved themselves a lot in that win over Clemson. I did notice Clemson had never played at Pitt somehow, which I don't know how that happened, but that's what I read at least. Uh, Bryce Young at number four, simply because he plays quarterback at Alabama. Uh, and then I've got Bajon Robinson, who I, I think is pretty much out of the race at this point, but he is having such a great year. Um, still don't want to, you know, put him for another quarterback or something like that. More deserving than uh, than Matt Corral, as great as Matt Corral is. I mean, a little bit more Matt Corral in a second, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some damning stats uh, in terms of Desmond Ritter before I start my rankings. Ritter right now is 51st in, in passing yards at 1620 on on in seven games. 21st in passing touchdowns with 15. Really good with picks, only three picks on the year. 31st in QBR, and while yes, he is the best player on, on a great Cincinnati team, which looks primed to be the first uh, Cincinnati, first uh, group of five team to make the playoff, the stats just aren't there. And I think it's a really, he's still in my top five, but I think it just shows how lean of a year it is in the Heisman race. Uh, my number one, I'm going with Bryce Young because Bryce Young's stats are, they're pretty much superior as much as uh, I don't like to say it being a group of five guy, but Young's stats are superior. 26 touchdown passes. He's third in the country in touchdown passes, sixth in passing yards at 2,453, three picks, um, 88.5 QBR, second in the country. I feel like Young is that guy at the moment. Um, and as much as I hate to say it, being a anti, like not anti-power five, but being such a group of five supporter, 
the stats are there. I think it's on par with Tua's 2018 and 2019 seasons, if not better. Um, my number two guy, I'm going Kenny Pickett. I'm all in on the Kenny Pickett fandom. Um, you know, just seeing just seeing him play all the way from 2017, being that young guy, leading that upset against Pitt. And someone tweeted this out. 2017, Kenny Pickett led the upset over Pitt. 20 uh, over uh, over Miami, excuse me. 2018, he led Pitt to the ACC title game against Clemson. 20, 2019, he ended UCF's uh, winning streak at home, their, their regular season winning streak at home. And then he's doing this now. I mean, Kenny Pickett has been that dude throughout the years. 23 touchdowns, a single pick, 88.1 QBR just behind Bryce Young. Um, the only knock is it's like the whole Pitt stigma where, I mean, where people just they, they aren't taking it seriously. Uh, part, part of it's because they lost to Western Michigan. Western Michigan is a great team, hard team to prepare for with the way they run the ball. But pick it at number two for me. Number three, Kenneth Walker. Huge game against Michigan. Kenneth Walker could surge all, all the way to the top if he has a huge game on big noon kickoff against Michigan. I'm excited, frankly. Uh, should be a fun game. Number four, I'm going to go with, uh, as much as it pains me to say, I'm going to go with Sam Hartman. I think his highest moment was definitely dropping 70 at Mikey Stadium against, against an Army defense that people thought was really strong, which they only allowed, I think, uh, 15 points a game last season. Really stout defense. He's got 19 picks. The stats aren't uh, – 19 touchdowns, excuse me. The stats aren't as much there for Hartman um, as they are for Bryce Young, but you can't ignore what he did against Army, really. Uh, 458 yards, and I, he looks to be trending up. Number five, Ritter. Um, and as much as I want Desmond Ritter on the group of five to win it, I, I just think the stats aren't on his side. And part of it's at times with um, Cincinnati, like lifting him in, in the, at halftime or in, in the third quarter, like they did against UCF. Part of it also has been kind of ugly, like last week against Navy, where arguably, arguably Ty Lavatai outplayed Desmond Ritter at times. Lavatai going 11 to 14 in a triple option scheme. Um, but yeah, so, sorry to rain, rain on the prey, Jackson. <laughs> Who would have thought that you would have the power five guy? I would have the group of five guy as the top. People are just getting more and more thrown off every week. I love Ritter. I love Ritter, and I I would love him to win the Heisman. But if he were to win it, and I know this might this sounds like this is like nails on a chalkboard for you, that would be like Eric Crouch winning it over Rex Grossman. Um, I mean, Eric Crouch being on a great team, but the stats aren't exactly there. Um, aren't exactly as there as they are for Rex Grossman. Just him, I mean, just Eric Crouch being on a national title contending team. Um, that I mean, that that's what it would seem like to me. So on uh, that Rexy note, we'll go ahead and move on to our games to watch of the week. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry to bring back bad memories, but that was the best comparison I could bring up in my head. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Ah, oh, boy. All right. Well, um, I'll go, I'll go ahead and go with my first my first game to watch of the week. I've got uh, UTEP at FAU, um, which sounds counterintuitive at first, right? Uh, UTEP ranked in at six and one. FAU man, they have not slowed down since the Lane Kiffin era. They're still averaging four hundred and fifty yards per game. They're better than UTEP in every major offensive statistical category. They're also undefeated at home. Uh, which, I mean, it's a long trip for UTEP. So um, i not saying FAU is going to win it. I'm just saying man, it's a game to watch, maybe an intriguing game. Absolutely. And uh, UTEP, UTSA has all the makings for a great game next week. I got flexed, got the flex treatment like it's the NFL to uh, a little bit of CUSA after dark at 10, 15 Eastern at the Sun Bowl. 
and a stadium I should be making the rounds too many times in the next few years being stationed out at El Paso. But I digress. So that that one should be a good one. And Kosi Perry is having a great revival. If there was a comeback player of the year award in college football, I think Kosi Perry would win it, man. Having a great year out there on a on, on a on a Miami school is performing better than Miami. Um, or a Southern Florida school better performing better than Miami. But uh I digress. And FAU is, I think, in the driver's seat for the Eastern Division title because the East has a lot of parity. Marshall has not been they've not been able to follow up on their 2020 campaign. Uh FAU looked really good against Charlotte, Charlotte being another contender out there. Uh we'll see how FAU looks later on against Marshall, but I think they should be playing UTSA um or even UTEP. I don't want to speak, I don't want to write out the minors of the conference USA West title, but you know, they they're looking really good. Um, on that note, I'm going to shift to my game of the week. Uh, just want to make a brief note, good rivalry on Friday night, kind of sad. It's not play being played on Thanksgiving weekend, UNLV Nevada for the Fremont Cannon, great rivalry. Um, you know, just tune in, uh, Friday at 10 CBS sports network. Um, but my first game, Where's what that if game I told at? you, um, what was that? Where's the game at? It's at, uh, Reno, Nevada, Reno. Is uh is UNLV bringing their slot machine, their turnover slot machine? I bet you they are. I bet you okay. they are. I'll but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, speak, speaking of conference races, it, look it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at the slot machine. It's a fun time. But speaking of conference races, we got Iowa, Wisconsin. What and what if I told you that despite Graham Mertz having two touchdowns and seven picks on the year, that Wisconsin controls their own destiny in the Big Ten West with a with wins over. Iowa, which would have two losses if they lose to Wisconsin, with a win over Minnesota, which would have two losses if they lose to Wisconsin and win everything else. Wisconsin controls their own destiny, surprisingly, in the Big Ten West, which at 12 o'clock in ESPN, this game is a game to watch. I mean, you might not think it, but it's really surprising, um, and anything can happen this year with, with Iowa losing to Purdue, to Purdue at home, and then Purdue losing to Wisconsin, so... That one is actually, I mean, a relevant, a really relevant game alongside Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, two huge Big Ten games. What the heck, man? You go with another Power Five thing while I'm doing all the Group of Five work here, man. <laughs> not even close to all of it. Uh, not even half, probably. I've got Fresno State at San Diego State as my next as my next game. Uh, we talked a lot last week about the Mountain West West Division, or. I can't remember if it was last week or on Bulls and Boos. Um, but uh, I think San Diego State will win, especially with it being at home. Uh, but this is a major game in the Mountain West, considering it's between the first and second best teams in the Mountain West, West Division. Uh, Fresno State, I mean, they're coming off a loss. They've got potential for a major upset. So we'll we'll see. I mean, it it should be interesting for sure. Uh, and I mean, San Diego State they've gotten they've gotten good luck. I mean, they had good turnover luck against Air Force. Um, I mean, so and, and they also off of the loss. I don't know why I said that. They had the close win versus Nevada, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that one came down in the final play as well. Um, but yeah, like I mean, if if you watch the San Diego State game, they got kind of lucky late in the game. Air Force overthrew an open receiver on a post route that would have won the game for uh, the Falcons, but they just couldn't make the pass. Their backup quarterback was in. So San Diego State's been getting lucky, lucky too. In the week before that, double overtime versus San Jose State. Um, but yeah, on that note, I'm gonna stay. Well, shoot. I said I was going to stay in the in the in the group of five. Lot, kind of lost my train of thought, but yeah, I'll stay in the group of five. I don't know if you had this one, Jackson, but uh, SMU Houston, huge game in the American West, and for all intents and purposes, 
Uh, I think a loss by SMU, it might end their New Year's Six hopes. Um, I mean, if they beat Cincinnati, I think they're actually still alive, but it would make it a heck of a lot harder. Um, and even, I guess you can even say SMU might even be a playoff team if they beat Cincinnati once or twice and end up going 13-0 two wins over Cincinnati. We haven't even talked about what we have. No one has talked about SMU this entire No, yeah, not at all, which no is really surprising. Yeah. Yeah, they beat TCU. They'd have two wins over Cincinnati, which is a super strong resume, which would probably be two wins over a top 10 team. Um, I mean, we're talking about Cincinnati. SMU might might have just as good a resume as Cincinnati would. No win over Notre Dame, but still. Huge game out there. That one is, I think, I just scrolled past it. It's 7 o'clock on ESPN2. Uh, huge implications. And don't sleep on Houston. Houston might end up being a 10-2 and two team. Clayton Toon is experienced having a great year at quarterback for Houston. They're really putting it together, together under Dana Holgerson. You mentioned SMU's path to the playoff. We will know if they have one this coming Tuesday night. The first rankings coming out of the college football playoff uh, are, are of this season, at least the only rankings that matter, which is the one done, uh, done by the committee. If SMU is ranked in the top 15, then we can have that discussion. Gosh, if they're, you know, outside of that, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a tough sell to think about SMU in, uh, in the New Year's Six, much less the playoff. I'll go ahead and go with uh, Texas Tech at Oklahoma for my next game. A lot of you are probably rolling your eyes at this. I will tell you, Texas Tech is coming off of an interesting week off of firing Matt Wells, despite the 5-3 and three record. Uh, we've seen Oklahoma struggle against some bad teams, especially early on in the year with Tulane. Seems like they've been playing close games all year. I couldn't find a similar stat to this in the college football world. I did see a stat last week in the NFL realm of things uh, that while interim head coaches have a very uh, hefty losing record, they actually have a winning record in their first week. Um, they're 12 and nine and the interim head coaches are 12 and nine in the NFL. If you count last week's Vegas Philly game, uh, TTU's interim head coach is their offensive coordinator, Sonny Cumbie. He is the former Texas tech quarterback from the early two thousands. Um, we'll see if that applies. I, like I said, I couldn't find a similar stat for college football, but you know, all for one, one for all kind of seems like you just kind of have to pull together, even if it's only for a week. Um, so we'll see if they can do this. I don't like the fact that it's in Norman and might get ugly quick if it was like it was last year, but we'll see. Uh, something to at least keep an eye on. Absolutely. And I kind of wonder what Texas Tech was expecting. Um, I mean, five and three is great out there in Lubbock, um, but maybe they're tired of just like hitting the same ceiling over and over again. Kind of like the same issue they had with Cliff Kingsbury, where they could have hit that next level. Um, I thought Wells was doing a good job this year. But obviously, Texas Tech thought otherwise. Um, I'm going to go with the complete opposite end of the spectrum here. Huge game in uh, the Colonial Athletic Association with William and Mary and Villanova. Villanova, going, they're at 6-1 and one right now. Villanova's at 6-1, but surprisingly, William Mary's at 5-2, and 3-1 and one in the conference. They haven't made the playoffs since 2015. William and Mary being sort of the nerd school of, uh, of the Colonial Athletic Association, the second college established in America proud academic tradition but this is a team that i mean makes its name on defense i mean their quarterback uh their quarterback has a five touchdown five to six touchdown interception ratio their quarterback being darius wilson 
Um, not really, they won't, they won't really wow you. They're averaging 24.6 points per game on offense, but I mean, on defense, they've been pretty solid and they're five and two. And this is a huge game against Villanova, Villanova being a traditional power in the conference. Um, so William and Mary in this game, of course, it's on flow sports. So if you are subscribed to flow sports, good for you. If not, um, I don't know what to tell you. Flow sports is just absolute hot garbage. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, may, maybe watch a live stat cast, honestly, because, again, Flow Sports sucks. That's just what uh, Flow Sports wants to hear. Uh, don't tune in. <laughs> don't subscribe. Don't tune in. So, uh, yeah, their format sucks. That's really not even on Flow Sports. That's on the conference for getting such a crappy deal. Um, I'm going to go with South Carolina State versus North Carolina Central as my next game to watch of the week. Uh, SC State is first in the MEAC despite the losing record. NC State is third in the MEAC, or NC Central, rather, uh, is third in the MEAC at three and four as well. Uh, it'll be intriguing to see, uh, you know, obviously a short trip. As far as the X's and O's, Omar, I'm sure you could tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Um, South Carolina State, if you haven't heard the name, Dakobe Durant, I mean, write it down. Dakobe Durant, I think, accepted a bid to the East-West Shrine Bowl. The East-West Shrine Bowl uh, making a deal to accept more MIAC and SWAC players. Durant picked off a quill gra- glass last year three times in a game against Alabama A&M. Absolutely great talent. And you mentioned South Carolina State having a losing record. They've kind of faced the gauntlet in non-conference play. As um, I try to find the game, uh, oh, there we go, find the game on the schedule. South Carolina State, they've, they've played New Mexico State. They played Clemson. They've lost a close one to Alabama A&M. They lost to Florida A&M, who's doing great in the SWAC. Uh, I mean, a little bit of an of a iffy result with a 13-7 win over a weaker Delaware State team. Um, but this one, it, it's important. And every game is important in the MIAC. As we've said before, it's a five-game season with only six teams there. The prize being Atlanta on the third Saturday of December uh, for the Celebration Bowl. But right now, the best team in that conference is looking like Norfolk State, who should tally on another win against 0-7 Morgan State. Juwan Carter having a, an amazing year, 14 touchdowns, two picks. I mean, that's not the game to watch for me. But, um, you know, just want to make note of the MEAC race. And Carter being a senior, likely probably going to get a bid to the Shrine Bowl or the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Um, staying on the FCS note, um, I'm going to go with Moorhead State. We talked a little bit about Moorhead State before in Davidson. Davidson looks just as good as they did in the spring. Davidson coming in right now at 5-1. and one. Moorhead State at 5-2. and two. Moorhead State undefeated. Both teams are undefeated in the Pioneer League. Both teams are 4-0 and oh right now. Uh, Moorhead State has never made the playoffs. This is a huge game for the conference. Could could end up deciding it too because Davidson would then have to win two would have or would have to, I guess Moorhead State would have to lose two games to lose a title, having the head-to-head tiebreaker over Davidson. Uh, if you're gonna root for someone, root for Moorhead State making their first playoff appearance. Uh, Davidson made their first last year, and it looks like the Pioneer Football League non-scholarship is getting a lot more parity as it is. Really, a real contrast of styles. Davidson running that shotgun option offense. Their quarterback, Luis Colosimo, only thrown 42 passes, seven picks. Um, And the team in total has only thrown, because he's not their only quarterback, obviously. Uh, In total, the Davidson Wildcats have thrown on the year 64 passes in in six games. Just what I love to hear. Uh, contrast of styles with uh, Mark Pappas throwing uh, 19 touchdowns, 11 picks, and over 2,000 yards. Uh, ESPN 3 at 2 o'clock Eastern, Moorhead State-Davidson. Huge implications in the Pioneer Football League. 
If you are watching, make sure to watch out for my Walter Payton Award winner sleeper, BJ Bird, uh, with nine touchdowns on the year. Maybe he can get his 10th. I'll go with my last game. This is sort of more of a, a game for betting interests that I completely made up. Jackson State at Mississippi Valley State. Uh, Jackson State has really locked up the East. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It could get ugly pretty quickly. Jack, uh, Mississippi Valley State's quarterback is only averaging 116 yards a game. They're leading rushers averaging 75 yards a game. Over under five and a half times that uh, Deion Sanders versus Jerry Rice is mentioned on the broadcast. Um, should be. I mean, that's that's a great point. Um, I, bet, I bet it is mentioned a lot. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it should be a good game. Even though Mississippi Valley State, um, they did, I think they beat uh, North Carolina Central, who beat Alcorn State, uh, the perennial front runner out there in the SWAC, but not not any longer at the moment. Um, staying on for my last game, uh, you know, you know, it's going to come an Ivy League game, Dartmouth versus Harvard. Uh, both teams five and one at Harvard Stadium. They're playing both teams love to run the ball. You got Nick Howard, where Jerry Gerbino, his predecessor, was a Tim Tebow of the Woods of Hanover. Nick Howard is a Colin Klein of the Woods of Hanover. 75 carries, 505 yards, nine touchdowns. They run that great two-quarterback system. Derek Kyler, um, 1,152 yards, nine touchdowns. Threw his first pick of the year against Columbia, but still a great year. Harvard likes to run the ball. They got Aaron Shamplin, 85 carries, 508 yards, seven touchdowns. Really efficient running back for the Crimson. The last time these teams met at Harvard Stadium, I was there. Game ended on a Hail Mary, the famous uh, Harvard Hail Mary, the one that the camera didn't even show live. Uh, so you had to be at the game to actually like see the play happen because the camera was focused on Derek Kyler throwing the Hail Mary. Uh, five and one, huge implications. And this is an Ivy League elimination game because Princeton does not look like they're going to skip a beat. I don't think they're going to lose more than one game. Loser of this one is, is arguably eliminated from uh, Ivy League contention for all intents and purposes with two losses in conference. Uh, Harvard losing last week to Princeton in a five overtime game, a very controversial one too, where the Ivy League had to release a statement. But the Ivy League is absolutely electric this year, man. There's something in those Northeast waters this year. I love it. Yeah, I mean, even I tuned in to an Ivy League game this year, so which says a lot. So, man, that that wraps it up for me. Anything else you want to add before we hop off? No, uh, I mean, just a lot a lot of great games. And like you said, the playoff ring is coming out. Uh, don't write out the FCS, honestly, or even all levels of college football. If there's college football near you, go out ahead to a game and check it out. I mean, if there's good college football, and find an online stream because, I mean, I'm sure there's there's tons of exciting games in D2, D3, and NAIA football. Just, uh, you know, look on Twitter. Someone's going to find out an, an exciting game of a school you haven't heard of. And just, you know, just have a good time with it and learn um and i'm ex i'm stoked for this college football saturday uh should should be a fun time as always that is a guarantee what's your uh what's your twitter handle again it's uh my twitter handle is my name omar rasham borha oh, okay. um simply look up the burger popper as my nickname uh it's playing oh, okay. burger that, that's it go <laughs> ahead and tweet at omar and he will find you personally an exciting game from a school you've never heard of so that i can guarantee you just got to tune in on Twitter during the game. You got to tune in on Twitter and see like Reddit college football will find the most exciting games and, you know, just take it from there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all I have. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, what a great week. I know we have another one ahead of us. 
Um, you know, I didn't say Florida, Georgia, but I'll say it now. They've gone back and forth for the last like decade or so of three wins for this team, three wins for the other, three wins for in each year. It's Florida's turn, man. I'm just saying. So uh, they can get the second of three in a row this next Saturday. So we'll see. I do love it being on CBS. Um, I will probably uh, mute Gary Danielson and I'll just watch the all 22 on mute, which is the ideal viewing experience for me. So uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, not to ruffle any CBS feathers. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to weigh in on the, on my opinions on Florida, Georgia, but uh until next time, peace, love, and soul, everyone.